0: Welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael, featuring your host, Michael Lieben. Our program is designed to empower the bereaved community with information and stories from those who have suffered the most terrible loss. Michael himself, a bereaved father, will be meeting with people from around the world to share and to draw hope from their experiences. And now, here is Michael Lieben.
1: Welcome, friends, to the sixth episode of the first season of Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. Our purpose is to empower bereaved members of our community with resources, support, and advocacy information. Today's show is Preparations for Life Without Me. The greatest challenge, the lifelong mission for parents of a special needs child, is preparing them to survive us. Here with us today to discuss this topic is our guest, Emily Pearl Kingsley, author of Welcome to Holland a widely published and translated piece which compares the experience of someone finding out their child has a disability to having a trip to Italy rerouted to Holland. Emily Pearl Kingsley has written for Sesame Street since 1970 and retired from that show in 2016. Emily's son, Jason Kingsley, was born with Down syndrome in 1974. Jason's story was the topic of an hour-long NBC television special in 1977 entitled, This Is My Son. With co-author Mitchell Levitz, Jason wrote a book, Count Us In, Growing Up With Down Syndrome. But above and beyond that, I want to introduce you to my personal friend. Emily's and my families have been friends for three, count them, three generations. Today we want to talk to Emily about Jason, what it's like to be the mother of a child with special needs and how she helps him cope with the loss of his father, Charles Kingsley. Finally, we'll be talking with Emily about the greatest challenge of all, preparing Jason for life without her. So, Emily, welcome to Heart to Heart with Michael.
2: Hi, Michael. It's wonderful to be with you across the oceans, across the continents, and uh, it's so wonderful to hear your voice.
1: When did you find out about Jason's Down syndrome, and how did that impact the rest of your family?
2: We found out in the worst possible way, Uh, Jason was born in 1974 and attitudes about Down syndrome were very different in those days. Um, we know so much more nowadays and things I think, and I hope are better nowadays. Uh, Jason was born late at night, 11 o'clock at night. And the next, the next day, the obstetrician took my husband, Charles aside and told him the most horrible things, um, told uh, Charles, that our baby was born with Down syndrome. Well, he called it, you know, a, a word that I don't use anymore that starts with the letter the M.
1: Right.
2: Yeah, the M word. Yes, <laughs> and told Charles that this baby was going to be permanently and severely mentally retarded. Was never going to uh, ever have any capabilities whatsoever. He was never going to be able to sit stand, walk, talk, would never forget reading or writing or having any uh, academic capability. He would never be able to recognize us as his parents, could never distinguish us from any other adults. And his recommendation to us was that we uh, send him away to an institution immediately before any attachment was formed. I don't know how an obstetrician thinks that the attachment to a baby is formed after he comes out of you. I don't know what what you were doing for those nine months that he was inside your body, but if not making an attachment, but anyway, you know, he suggested that we send this baby away immediately uh, and not get attached to him and go home and tell our friends and family that the baby had died in childbirth and go home and make another baby. Um, Well, this was, Uh, of course, as devastating a piece of news, as you can imagine. So, you know, we immediately started crying. I don't know what else you do when you hear news like that. Um, This is obviously the antithesis of what we had expected. Um, We had spent nine months expecting the world's brightest, most gifted, most, uh, you know, wonderful child, We had no reason to expect anything else. So this was a second marriage for both of us, and we were not kids. I was 34, and Charles had had two kids from a previous marriage. So, you know, he was a little bit older. And uh, so we were absolutely devastated, to say the least. We spent three, three days trying to figure out, you know, what do you do? Do you send away your flesh and blood and your child to... Uh, a state institution, and and the pictures and the, in the uh, information about what institutions were like in those days was just horrendous. Um, I'm
1: I'm, I'm going to slow you down for a second because, and I just want to say the only reason I'm not screaming when I hear this story is because I know it so well, but I hope yeah. everybody is completely aghast at what they just heard and, and how, how much we've changed in our understanding of Down syndrome in the last... 40 years, and how much of that is is due to you, we're going to find out later in the program. Now, you were also fairly lucky. Jason did not have a lot of other medical complications, which sometimes uh, associates with Down syndrome. Is that true?
2: That is quite true, and we were very, very fortunate that Jason did not have any of the uh, other medical uh, complications. Um, About 30 to 50 percent of kids with Down syndrome have uh, heart problems, and we were very fortunate that Jason did not have any of those. Um, he was he was born, you know, totally physically healthy. Um, so we were we were uh, blessed with that. That was the advice that was given across the board in those days. But we have all kinds of of data about how kids, you know, the IQ of children are raised by thirty points just by virtue of bringing them home. Just just no. like, you let's, know, let's, by let's home with
1: let's put that on one side of the balance from one side of the scale and look at the other side of the scale. Jason did progress. I'm going to ask you what were the resources, but I know the answer is there were no resources. Emily was and is the resource. So tell me about that.
2: Well, what happened was that, that, you know, somebody, this is, this is kind of important and I'll try to make it as quick as possible. The, the a social worker came in and said to us that there was something very new, very experimental, very, and that there were some people, uh, who believed that if you gave a child a very enriched environment and a very stimulating, you know, that you could perhaps teach a child to some very, very basic elemental uh, skills. Like maybe you could teach him to feed himself, you know, something very, very uh, fundamental mm-hmm. um, if you brought him home. And it was called early intervention. It was very, <laughs> very new a very and now that's a way of
1: life for so many people yes you know, of course individual.
2: of course now we just take it for granted now it's just you know of course um but but then it was very, it was a, it was very very new and, and uh, controversial um and did we want to give it a try and that was the first thing that made sense to us that you don't send your kid away and no. never see him again without at least trying and then if it didn't work out and it was so heartbreaking and so disappointing and so you know, then you could always send them away later. But at least you would have given him a, a try, and that's the well, only thing that made sense
1: to us. Well, I think Jason was also particularly lucky because he had you, uh, a very creative woman with tremendous ideas and an open mind. Many people may well, not. We remember the... Well, we, we, had we had a lot of fun. Well, you had a lot of time. There was have mo- We, we yeah, didn't. We were making we, up we ne-
2: games and yeah, we were trying to be as creative as we could, and we were making up all of these you know, crazy games to stimulate all of his senses and to stimulate all of his creativity and so on. And he learned like crazy. It was, it was, it was was hilarious, you know, and he was starting to read at three, you know, he was reading and doing letter identification and all of that kind of stuff, you know, at three ahead of his typical peers.
1: Liel did that and she scared her teachers. She scared her teachers when she started Class.
2: It, was, uh, it was really crazy, and that's when I was working on Sesame Street at the time, and it mm-hmm. occurred to me that this was a wonderful venue to uh, show the rest of the world that uh, I had a kid with Down syndrome with a significant disability who was doing academic stuff, contravening all of the advice and the, and the uh, typical uh, information being given out by the professionals.
1: Most of the time that you were working for Sesame Street, I understand you were actually working at home. So you had the time to be with him and to make, mm-hmm. create, create intervention, create program, create things that had never been heard of before you invented the wheel and worked at home. And I think that was a remarkable stroke of good luck, not only for Jason, but I would say for everybody in the world of Down syndrome, mm-hmm. because what you did became standard, and you did it first. I'm sorry, we have to take a break. It was a hard break. But when we get back, we'll be talking more with Emily about losing Charles, her husband, and Jason's dad, and how she coped with the changes that resulted.
0: Hi, I'm John Montez of NBC's hit acapella show, The Sing Off. In acapella music, it takes a team to create a sound that many will enjoy, just like it'll take a team to help my good friend Miles Schweitzer, an HLHS survivor. Let's help Miles fulfill his dream and make a big enough sound to bring awareness to congenital heart disease please visit them at gofundme.com backwards slash the miles project miles with the y again that's gofundme.com the miles project this is for miles
1: heart to heart with michael is a presentation of hearts unite the globe and is part of the hug podcast network
0: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you have a question or comment that you would like addressed on our program, please send an email to Michael Lieben at michael at com. Now, back to Heart to Heart with Michael.
1: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael. Today we're talking with Emily Pearl Kingsley, mom to a son with Down syndrome. We've just discussed how Emily's young family discovered her son, Jason, would have special needs and the impact it would have on her and her family. Now we're going to discuss the death of her husband, Charles, and how Emily and Jason adjusted to life without him. So, Emily, how did you meet Charles, and and when did you get married?
2: Well, Charles and I, it's really a strange story, because Charles and I were both married to other people, and we were both in, I guess you'd say, unhappy marriages, because we were both in group therapy together. And we were both struggling to get out of unhappy marriages. And then, when we were both out of our unhappy marriages, we started seeing each other. So uh, group therapy is a good way to meet people <laughs> because you know all about each other and, and <laughs> you know what <laughs> all the bad stuff that you had before and what you don't want to repeat. And so <laughs> when we got together, it was uh, it was a very nice and uh, good second marriage. Then we had Jason um, and the whole adventure of uh, special needs began. But that was quite an adventure, and it really kind of solidified us in terms of uh, becoming a team to the, our commitment to do whatever Jason needed to uh,
1: I was, I was ask maximize about
2: that. his potential.
1: I was going to yeah. ask you about that, because one of the things that Leora and I discovered, now again, I, I'm comparing, which is a bad idea. I'm talking about Liel, who did not have Down syndrome. She was autistic, and they are not at all the same thing. But when you have a child with special needs, uh, one of two things can happen to your family. It'll split up apart in a second, or it gains a lot of strength and a sense of purpose and mission like it never had before. And we, right. we experienced that. And maybe we're just lucky we knew you before we had Liel because you were in some, so many ways for us a role model to, to pull things together and do the right thing at so many different junctures. And if we ever had a difficult time being married, we'd never – had any disagreements or any difficulties whatsoever regarding Liel. And and that was the force that really galvanized this family. And I, and I know that that in many ways that happened to you and Charles, can you tell me a little bit about working together like that?
2: It was kind of exciting because, um, his, especially because of the dire predictions that we had had from that, uh, obstetrician in the beginning, uh, all of his advances and all of his successes, uh, were triumphs and, uh, uh, it, it was extremely exciting. Um, and also what happened was that we we came, uh determined to make sure that other families did not have the, uh, you know, the negative experience that we had had. And we started sharing our experience with as many people, anybody who would stop long enough to listen to us. So we started uh, counseling new families who had had babies with down syndrome. And we went around to hospitals and said, Hey, listen, if, if you have a, a new family that has a baby, uh, send them around to us and we'll walk Shh. them through it. And so we became kind of the, the, go-to. the family in Westchester County that they would shuttle new families to. That's and amazing. it got to know every family in the County who had a new baby and they became our kids. And we started getting a network and parent groups started, you know, growing up and, uh, we made lots and lots of wonderful friends, you know. As the kids grew up and started socializing, and we ended up having a teen group and teen parties, yeah. uh, stuff like that.
1: You're chugging along together, doing this major effort. I mean, it's not Emily; it's Emily and Charles is one word. Uh, and then Charles passed away. So, was that sudden? Was that expected?
2: Well, he well, got a, a very weird form of cancer. He had mm-hmm. it was not really pancreatic cancer, but it was. Uh, in the pancreas area but it took us a very long time to find out what it really was so he had two and a half years of you know trying to track it down and trying to diagnose and trying to find out what it was and uh, jason was 20 around 20 when when all of this happened
1: did jason have any prior preparation that one day this might happen or it was just not 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 a thing to talk about. No,
2: it wasn't. No, it really wasn't. One thing about Jason, I don't know if I can generalize about Down syndrome, but the other thing about Jason is he's a pretty narcissistic guy. You know, it's, the world sort of revolves around him. He's not terribly empathetic. So he was living at this school, which is about an hour and a half away from our home.
1: Ah, uh, so he wasn't home. Um,
2: so he was not home.
1: Oh, I understand. He wasn't well, had. Home. So Charles passes away and Jason's not home. How do you explain all of that to Jason and, and how does Jason react? And and then after that how do you help him how do you help him grieve the loss of his father?
2: It was pretty terrible. It was quite terrible. Jason by this time Jason was in a little apartment. Charles' big dream was to see Jason living independently in an apartment by himself. And this was this was really kind of a terrible time in my life too because mm-hmm. We had gotten this little apartment for Jason and set Jason up in an apartment, which is quite near us. And Charles was convinced that Jason could make it on his own. And I didn't realize it at the time, but Charles was kind of sneaking down there every day and helping Jason out.
1: If Charles isn't there to do that, what, what do we do with Jason? How do we
2: That's explain right. to and Jason? Jason look, the minute Charles died, the bottom fell out. And all of a sudden, I found out that Jason wasn't doing what I thought he was. You know, he wasn't keeping the place clean. He wasn't eating properly. He wasn't keeping himself clean. He wasn't shaving. He wasn't, you know, bathing. Was that that a result of being alone
1: or being without Charles?
2: Both. It was a combination Mm -hmm. of grieving Mm -hmm. and not really having the skills that I thought he had. Mm-hmm. and he was depressed. You I got him a me. therapist oh. and I got him a care worker who came in you know several hours a day and helped him with all of this stuff and and I panicked and I started calling the Westchester ARC agency saying he needs more support. He needs to he needs to be in a group home. He can't handle it by himself. He doesn't have as many skills as I thought he did.
1: You spoke to me um, in, in in an earlier conversation, um, about it was interesting if Jason had a concept of of heaven and what he thought about that. Um, yes. So let's, before we go to a break, if you can close this segment with uh, Jason's contemplating heaven, what that meant.
2: Yeah, he 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 talks about it, and he thinks that he thinks of his dad being in heaven and looking down on him. And he once said to me, maybe. Santa Claus can stop by heaven and bring dad back for Christmas because it's right nearby. And that would be a great Christmas present for dad to visit at Christmas because it's so close to the North pole. I said, well, that sure would be nice if it was possible. But do you think that that's real or do you think that that's fiction? Uh And he said, well, I, I know it's fiction, but I still believe it.
1: And with that, we're yeah. going to run into our second heartbreak. And I appreciate your coming to the program and for being so very candid about the experiences you've had helping a child with special needs and helping him to handle his life and his loss, as well as opening up about your own grief. So please stay tuned. In our next segment, we'll discuss with Emily how she prepares Jason for the future and living without her.
0: You are listening to Heart to Heart with Michael. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on Michael's program, please email him at michael at hearttoheartwithmichael.com. Now, back to our program.
1: Welcome back to Heart to Heart with Michael, a program for the bereaved community. We are here with Emmy Award winning Emily Pearl Kingsley, who is sharing her story about life with a child with special needs and helping him understand and handle loss. Emily, I understand that you've met somebody special after Charles passed away. Can you tell us about him and how he became involved with your family?
2: After Charles passed away, which was just about 20 years ago, I was on my own and alone for, oh, about 14, 15 years. And then finally, uh, a wonderful man who was in my Gilbert and Sullivan singing group, uh, a retired psychiatrist named John Stadler, lost his wife. And then we got together, and John. Uh, John and I became a couple, uh, six years ago. And John was a lovely, lovely man. And, uh, was very fond of Jason and Jason liked him too. And John and I had six years together. Um, he was a a darling guy and, um, John and and Jason had a a very sweet relationship. In fact, Jason said to me about John, he said, do you think John could be another father for me? And I said, well, you only, (laughs) you only get one father. But uh, John is very, is very crazy about you. And uh, I said, and Jason said, well, let's see. Does he like Marx Brothers movies? And I said, yes, he does like Marx Brothers movies a lot. And Jason said, OK, he'll do. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's an easy test. <laughs> right. I could I could pass that test.
2: <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so that was his criterion for for whether John uh, could join the family. So uh, John and I had six wonderful years together, and John just well, recently family. passed away about seven months ago. Um, very, very suddenly. Actually, it was uh, it was awful. Um, so that was another loss for for both of us. We're both kind of uh, dealing with that kind of right now.
1: Um, is Jason dealing with that differently now than he was with Charles? Is he older? And I, I mean, yes. I know he's older, but is he more mature to understand the differences and to understand what, yeah, what death is and, more like now?
2: Yeah and um you know he he talks about it and, and and he says that he misses John and uh but and one of the things that uh, one of the differences sort of is that he he says um he's warmer towards me now and he's more caring about wanting to spend more time with me you know he says mom can you and I have, have go out to dinner together he says i think that you might be lonely and uh, he's more and more sensitive about that, which is really interesting because he never really talked much about that uh, related to Charles. And um, he, and he wants to light a candle about John. And you know he's That's nice. he's uh, he's relating to uh, various uh, uh, holidays and stuff like that. Let's light a mm-hmm. candle for John and that sort of thing.
1: Do you so, suspect uh, that his, his closeness with you is some sort of desire to hold on, that you know, he's afraid of yes, losing Yes, I definitely
2: him. do. Because yeah, And I think that this is related to what you mentioned, because he, it has brought up the concept of losing me, uh, which he never has thought about before.
1: Well, let's on talk about that. Is he, is, yeah. Does he discuss he's that over, with you? He,
2: yes. He's, well, he has discussed it with his therapist. And the therapist has told me that this, this topic has come up for the first time. He's aware of my advancing age because I'm Mm -hmm. now 77 and I was never 77 before. And um, I wasn't anything near 77 before. Um, But he's, you know, people are dying people are dying all around him. And and all of a sudden it has occurred to him that, wait a minute, mom's getting on there. And uh, so he's, he's a little concerned about this and he's, sort of holding on to me a little bit tighter. Mm. And uh, so he's, he's more interested in spending time with me. That's and amazing. he's a little no. bit more cautious about me. I've had a uh-huh. little bit of back back problems recently. And he's been calling me up and saying, how are you feeling? Um, so, you know, he, wow. he's, yeah. So I he's... think this is very much on his mind.
1: Now, he's, he's, you know, in, in a sort of physical, economic way, he's going to be okay. He's in a home. He'll be taken yeah. care of. Um, there's got to be a certain uh, serenity for you, knowing that at least that part is safe.
2: That part but- is protected. Thank goodness I'm, I've got him protected um, financially. Uh, he's in a wonderful group home, which is, uh, you know, with, a, with an agency, which is solid, And, you know, I think that that part of it is, is okay. Um, I'm working on, you know, guardianship and, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. setting up people, you know, the thing that concerns me is, you know, who'll bring them the birthday cake, who'll take them to a ball game, who'll, you know, that sort of thing, uh, you know, setting up the emotional support system, uh, which is a little bit more complicated
1: well, um, not, that, not that any of us are really totally prepared, but do you think he's prepared for a future without you? Does he understand that? Does he does he know he's facing something that he has really no choice in?
2: I don't know how much he's really conceptualized that. I think it would be really difficult for him. One of the things that's just happened in the last couple of days is I just got word that one of his most beloved residence counselors is mm. planning to retire. That's and he doesn't know this yet. And, you know, this is going to be another another loss in, in his life when this uh, residence counselor in his group home is going to retire. and uh, There's going to be a shift in the uh, staffing of his group home.
1: But that's the, that's the kind of loss. That. That's a different kind of loss because he can recover from that and the guy is retiring, but he can still come back and visit if he wants to. Or exactly. Jason can call him on the phone and say, I'd really like to talk to this guy. Uh, he right. can't call Charles. He can't call John. We'll, one day will come. He That's won't be able right. to call you. Right. I, I, I think sorry. he has a
2: concept I, of, uh, of, of dad's looking down on me. You know, dad would be proud of me for this or this oh. that kind of thing. I think he has a sense. He has some kind of a sense he, where he mentions that kind of thing, oh. you know. Well,
1: uh, that may be very useful because it helps keep him on track. He's still doing something for mm-hmm. And that's that's a very useful, if nothing else, um, a device to help keep him in where he needs to be. I, yeah, I think I, that's
2: I, what works for a lot of people in the concept of heaven and and afterlife and that kind of thing. That's I think that's why heaven and afterlife was invented for people. I think that's that's why people thought up afterlife in the first place.
1: Well, I have to tell you, it, afterlife. I mean, I don't generally like to discuss my own personal, you know, especially in public. But it's very comforting hmm um, indeed, I, yeah. Exactly. I, I wish I could be as convinced as some of my friends who are so totally convinced they know where they're going and then, you know, it's like they know what seat they've got reserved. I don't have that.
2: Right, I don't <clears> either.
1: But I when Liel died, mm-hmm. when Liel died... Wish I,
2: I wish I did, mm-hmm.
1: When Liel died, a friend of mine came up to me. and says, your place in heaven is guaranteed. And he was trying to comfort me because what he said was, basically, you know, you've suffered a lot. You've worked so hard for her and you did everything you could that you have achieved mm-hmm. some sort of saintly status that no matter what you do now, you're going... Well, that's very nice.
2: All right. And <laughs> people say you will, you will see each other again, you know, and you will, you'll be reunited. A lot of people really, really believe that. And I, I sincerely wish I did. That would be so well,
1: nice. And I suppose at those final moments when people are letting themselves go, maybe that's how they do it. I don't know. And, and mm-hmm. we'll only know mm-hmm. once. We'll only know once. And we're not right. there. Right. And so I'm, I leave but, that. you know, I,
2: listen. I'm, tr- I'm trying to set up as much as I possibly can for Jason, and mm-hmm. uh, I, I hope he's as secure and happy as he possibly can be. Uh, that's my mission. That's my that's that's my job, and and it's my joy. You know, that's that's what I'm here for. You know, he is, I, as t- I said, t- he's my the love of my life.
1: And I think he was more than the love of your life. I think he was the anchor in your life. He was the anchor for Charles and and apparently also mm-hmm. for John. Jason himself has a very strong magnetic power. I knew him when he was a teenager and I've spoken to him over the phone occasionally and I have uh, received New Year's cards for 30 years with his pictures and, mm-hmm. and adventures and stories. He has been for you a real anchor. He's been he's been everything that, you know, you need to to have a focus. And and the joyful part is that you, by contrast, have been a focus and an anchor for so many other people that you've helped, and so many J- other people. Charles
2: and I used, yeah, we used to say, and and even John and I used to say, "Can you imagine what our lives would have been like if Jason either had not been born, or if we'd have sent him away, or if he'd have born even have been born a typical kid? How our lives, how the direction of our lives had been changed, or had you know." It, it's unthinkable. It's unfathomable how much meaning he gave to our lives. I can't even I can't even start to think about how he influenced and and gave meaning and direction to and content to my life. I cannot think that the world would be a, a less meaningful place without Jason Kingsley in it. A person who this doctor was ready to throw out in the garbage that he, Jason Kingsley, has made a contribution to making this world a better place. The world is a better place because Jason Kingsley was in it. He has made this world a better place.
1: And it's a beautiful way to reach the end of our program. So again, I want to thank you for sharing with us your hope and your story, and we hope that other people will find hope who are listening and encouragement from your story because it is completely remarkable. I'd like to ask everybody who's listening to please join me or the Heart to Heart with Michael team in pal talk every week following our program and we'll talk with you soon and until then remember it's okay to breathe
0: thank you again for joining us we hope you have gained strength from listening to our program heart to heart with michael can be heard every thursday at noon eastern time we'll talk again next time when we'll share more stories if you would like to continue today's discussion please join us right after the program in the hug podcast chat room on pal talk